This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like yourself worldwide. The best part is that it's completely free. So sign up today at www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. It just takes a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get our next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, our biweekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. That's www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights for free. You're listening to Make It. Indie Film Podcast. Hello, hello. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast. And I am here with my good friend, my best friend, my comrade, Nicholas Bugs. Also co-founded this lovely company, Bonsai Creative. I wanted to make this extra long with additional pregnant pauses, which I know he loves. Uh, just enough time, just enough time in between each word where he thinks he can interject. <laughs> but then right at the moment, he might. Damn it, Jim. I <laughs> say another word. That's, that's We're also joined. Kirk, bro. That's straight up Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and a good time to have uh, Captain Kirk conversation. We have two esteemed guests with us. The one and only Nicholas Mim, as well as, I'm going to make sure I pronounce this right, Rostam Zafari on the podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having doing us. Great. Thank you. No, it's, it's, it's our pleasure. And why don't we, look, uh, instead of me doing some preamble and going on and on and, and uh, boring everybody to death, why don't we just hop right in and have, uh, we'll start with you, Nicholas, and just have you guys tell us. A little bit about yourselves, background, um, stuff like that. Sure. Um, I'm Nicholas. Nice to see you guys. Nice to meet you all. Um, I'm a filmmaker based out in Los Angeles, director, producer, editor, kind of do everything. Born and raised in Denver, Colorado. And um, I guess what you guys, what people might have seen that I've done is a, a film, uh, a feature film called In the Dark of the Valley, a feature documentary that's... Um, currently streaming on Peacock right now, and it's uh, through MSNBC Films. And um, right now, uh, working on a, promoting this short film uh, that we did about Rostam's grandfather, uh, Parvi Zafari, uh, called Bubjan, and then also working on a episodic series with Rostam once again that follows, uh, it's a docu-series that follows entrepreneurs and founders of companies around the world that uh that are doing a lot of good in the world and making the world a better place um so that's what we're kind of what's what we're doing and what's what we're working on and just trying to trying to stay busy rostam you want to add anything to that i mean i think uh to add add to that 
some of the work that we did this past year was with uh, the writer Brandon Stanton, who is the founder of Humans in New York, who did the longest series ever uh, for Humans in New York on my grandfather, 54 posts. And the first one that was also in a foreign language. So he did that not only in English, but in Persian. So we were really uh, grateful for that. Um, and also building of a human rights park in Atlanta called Nimru's Park uh, with a you know 20 foot statue mm. of Cyrus the Great that is reflective of all these Persian ideals and values that my uh, my grandfather speaks of. So those are two recent projects that we're we're also um, proud to have been a part of. Nick, I know you have a ton of questions for Nicholas and Rostam, and I, so I just want to get these off, shoot these off real quick. I think they're kind of small, potentially small. I guess they could be longer answers, but I think these are small questions that I just want to get a better understanding of where you guys come from. Um, one, how did you guys decide that? How did you guys meet? And then after that, how did you guys decide you wanted to continue on this creative journey together? Or have you decided that? Like, are you guys always going to work together going forward? Yes. Uh, a couple, I, couple of thoughts on that. Yeah, I hope so. Um, unless, you know, unless one of us screws up really badly <laughs> and makes a terrible, <laughs> terrible movie. Um, Rosam and I first met, I was uh, a producer on a, a feature doc called uh, Helen Believe um, about the uh, Olympic wrestler Helen Maroulis. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were shooting the last bit of that film uh, in Greece, in Lesvos, Greece, at a, at a refugee center. Um, and uh, that's where we met Rostam and we became fast friends. He, he was a friend of Helen's and um, kind of just uh, was, were sharing ideas back and forth, just kind of realized there was a lot of synergy creatively um, between the two of us and between a, a third party as well. His name is a filmmaker named Dylan, Dylan Mulek, um, who's a, a great friend of ours and, and creator of the, the series that, we're, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and uh, just kind of took it from there. And Rostam approached us about the, uh, Bub John and Bub John's story and Humans in New York uh, doing, this, uh, doing his story. Um, and we kind of just took it from there. And it's, it's just kind of expanded ever since. And it's been, uh, it's been great. It's been a great partnership so far. I heard an incredible interview with Brandon Stanton on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And the thing I took from him as an individual, and this is the guy who started and does humans of New York is that he just tries things and in his, and just doesn't his, he's fearless. And you, you know, he's very intelligent. So you, you get that right away. You get that he's smart and he's way ahead of his, his time. Um, he, when he, at the time he got interviewed, he was in his early twenties. I think he, to me, he came off like a 35 year old. Like he was, he was on it. I mean, there were moments where you could hear the youth in, in some of the sort of naivete of, of his, you know, amazing life so far, uh, and how things would go. But in general, I just thought, Oh my God, this guy can do anything in the world he wants to do. Uh, he, he's, he's unstoppable. And it reminded me of, guerrilla filmmaking it reminded me of independent filmmakers and how we have a bit of delusion that tends to work out as long as we have good taste and we make good decisions so i am curious did you guys notice that from him is that what attracted is is that part of the attraction uh there and and did you guys have common ground on taste meaning like did you guys find that you like the same films etc same style you know, Brandon's become one of my closest friends, but he's also, I think, some of, one of the people I've learned the most from in the last couple of years. 
And, you know, I, I personally think Brandon Stanton is once in a generation talent. Like, I, I think he's a genius. And I've met, I think, two or three geniuses in my life. I've met a lot of really smart, hardworking people. Um, but for him, for me, it's, he's, he's a genius, but he also is a workhorse. Like, this man wakes up at four in the morning and he writes yeah. five hours every single day, bar none. And he, he talks about this when he did photography. doesn't matter if it was raining or storming. And like, you know, he got it. I got an ice bath like, you know, six months ago or so. And he got into it. And then he's like, I'm doing it 10 minutes every day, twice a day. Like the guy has no chill. He has no like off button, no pause button. <laughs> and he puts the blinders on and he nothing else matters to him besides his story. Like his story is his child. And when he gets into something, he sinks his teeth in. Like my, I remember him. He was like, I'm going to tell the story of Iran through your grandpa and the story of mythology and through, you know, through, through this lens. And my dad was like, don't. My dad told me, don't tell him not to do it. Like, there's, it's a waste of time. It's a Herculean task. And some American writer, there's no way he can pull this off. And he wanted to stop the project. And I told Brandon, I said, wow. Brandon, I don't, please don't take this the wrong way. I, I want you to do this, man. But I'm, he asked me what my, my dad thought because he cares about my dad's opinion. My dad's a you know, smart guy, great dude, mm-hmm. knows his history. Um, and he's like, I'm going to win your dad over. And he goes over to my dad and, and sits down with him and says, give me like the 20 books I need to read. And my dad's like, yeah, here's the 20 books. The guy comes back in three weeks, read them all, (laughs) and is debating point to point, you know, Iranian politics and parliament in like 78 with my dad. And my dad comes to me later and goes, Rustam, you should be ashamed of yourself. He knows more about Iran's history than you do and more than 99% of of Iranians. And I was honored. I mean, I was, was, it took me off guard, but I've never seen someone win my dad over in, in a month, you know, it's taken me 27 years and it just, just, it's a pleasure to work with someone who has that kind of love and passion for his work because it's not just a job for him. It's his life. It's his identity. And that, that, that's contagious and it pushes everyone around him to work harder. That is so cool. He knows the right question to ask. It's, That's what's amazing. It's, he it's knew really which amazing. question to ask. It's like it's like from my perspective as a, as a person in documentaries, like I thought I was a pretty good interviewer. I, I feel like I can hold my own with with anybody in the interview chair, right? And then I saw uh, Brandon do it, and my confidence was just shot. I was like, oh my <laughs> god! Like he he is so thoughtful and in the moment and. Is um, you know he's very prepared, obviously going in, but it doesn't seem like he's ever reading off a list of questions. It's just a conversation that feels very natural mm-hmm. to him. Um, but he's it's so thoughtful and uh, and yeah, it's so so deep, and he he really can he can break through a lot of bar- barriers um, uh, and make people feel vulnerable. I think, and uh, you know, I'm just sitting behind the scenes, like listening to these interviews. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm so new to this. Um, and such a, such a novice compared to him. Um, so it was really great to, to see that, that type of storytelling, uh, just like on another level is, is really amazing. I think you guys will love this cause he likes throwing surprises out during the middle. Like just, he just freestyles a little Oops. bit and he'll ask the same question 10 times back to back. And, you know, me and my dad and my grandpa, like, he just asked the same question 10 times. But the 11th times he asked it, it cracks open the conversation to something entirely new. And then he'll <laughs> surprise you. He'll be he'll be asking me to ask the question. <laughs> it's and then a, it's an interesting My style. grandpa and say, yeah. look at your grandson and tell him what he means to you. Tell him what you wish he knows when, he, when you're gone. And he'll do the same thing with my grandma. He'll say... You know, tell 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 your wife what she means to you. And my grandpa was like, I had never like looked at my wow. wife in in sixty three years of being married, and just because you know that was in that generation, they didn't talk 
about vulnerability that way. And so at the end of this whole process, right. I remember my grandpa coming up to Brandon and saying, thank you, because you helped me to look at my life in a way I've never looked at it before and explore really painful moments that I had never gone back to that were so painful. I didn't have, I never went back there. And I, I feel like I know myself better than I ever have. And to hear my grandfather, who's the wisest man I know say that with that sense of humility, really like it's, it says a lot about what Brandon can do in unraveling those layers of personhood in someone. That's, Nick, I know you want to. I know you want to hop yeah. in here, but I, I have to. I have to mention you got another one, man. We, Come on, man. Well, no, I don't have a question. I just have a comment. Right, I'm going to actually pitch it. it to you, Nick, okay. because me and you talk about a book all the time, and the book we talk about is The Opposable Mind, and not a lot of people have read it or know about it. But we talk about The Opposable Mind all the time. It's a life hack. Go read it. You can read it in a day, and it talks about the power of integrative thinking. And I view humans of New York, I view filmmaking, I view it all as integrative thinking. And I just thought about the fact that there was a company called Life on Record. They might still be around, but they do what you just described, which is like bring two people that are family members in a room and have them talk to each other and you can record it. Well, the reason why humans of New York, I think, does so much better than them is because they don't have a brand in. And the idea they really needed was to bring in a great interviewer. And then bring the family members in and then record it. They should have hired two to five, 10, however many you need, incredible interviewers that can get people to open up. And then those can be some of the most powerful things recorded in someone's family tree. Like it's huge. So Nick, uh, I don't know if you have any comments on that or thoughts on that, but I I couldn't resist bringing up the opposable mind and, and the idea of sometimes you have an idea that's good. And you were one step away from making it great because you didn't integrate another thing. Yeah, well, I think uh, that's that's near and dear to my heart. My uh, my father in law has tons and tons of stories. It's it's awesome, and I think he's gotten accustomed to me. When he comes over, I go to over to his house. He's gotten accustomed to me putting my phone in between us because right <laughs> there on that phone is that voice recorder. And I just hit the record button. I'm just like, I just got, I got to capture that. And I've always thought like, I need to capture these stories because I'll, I'll tell you this. It's one of the things that I, I love about my wife and I love about my father-in-law is that they seem to have memories like a steel trap. Right. And I'm trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out why, like, why is this a thing? And I realized that the reason for that is that they tell stories. They tell the same story, maybe a thousand times to different people and they emote, they feel, you know, they can smell what was cooking at the time that this thing happened. Right. They remember, remember how they felt. They remember the weather. They remember all of this stuff. And those stories, I think, need to be captured. So I've thought about it, too. I'm like, man, I need to record my father in law telling these stories uh, because it does also allow him to open up places that he hasn't actually thought about opening before. Uh, for example, he was in the Vietnam War and there are things that he hasn't thought about or has put away that his kids are interested in knowing. And, you know, there's, I think there's an opportunity there to basically do the same thing or do something similar. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in and recording these chapters, especially in our fathers and our grandfathers lives, because once they leave us, we're left with that. Right. And you, you, you can't beat that. So I, I, I love the idea of all of that. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, it's this thing where the thing that stuck out to me, you just says like, he's a great story. He has a way of telling a story. That's the value of just 
No one will tell you that, but learn. And you'll never learn in school. Learn how to tell a story. Now, Nicholas, you, you know, you, you've, you've learned how to tell stories through, through the camera and through the script. But I think in general, just speaking to someone, it's the one human thing that we do that's universal. I mean, we, we're storytellers. And, and I think, you know, there's just, if you guys know who like Charlemagne the God is, <laughs> like the radio host. Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Charlemagne always says this thing, well, I believe the truth when the lie is more entertaining. And he uses it as a critique against internet culture. But the thing that's within that, the 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 there there, the thing that's inside that is people want to be told a story. And if the truth is told to you in a fact, like a statement, but the lie is told to you as tea, as the kids say, and as like and as like a story, then they will believe the story because the story is more human. Isn't right. that wild? So it's it's powerful. You know, Nick doesn't care if his if 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 his you know uh, what do you say your your uh, father in law. Mm-hmm. You don't care. Yeah. You don't care if he's lying. You're just <laughs> no. there for the story. You just, just there for the story. story. Yeah, and it's, you don't and care. It's funny. He could be lying. Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a fat guy. I'm very. I'm like I'm. You know, it's very sh- short and sweet and to the point. Like that's just how mm-hmm. I've always been. Right. Like it just is what it is. It's like you know when my wife. I, I could be on the phone with you, Chris. Right. Yeah, and yeah. you know, Chris tells me, "Oh yeah, Nick, my 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 son, he hurt himself, right?" And my wife is kind of hearing this, so then she'll be like, "So, so, uh, Booby, what what happened?" Oh yeah, Cam hurt his ankle. But how did it happen? <laughs> like, where was he? Like, what? Ha- I was like, I didn't oh, ask all yeah, those yeah, questions. Yeah, like, a good point. Why am I? <laughs> exactly. Like, why am I'm not? I just just that. That's it. But if she were to tell the story, man, it would have been like it was a rainy day. It was a Thursday, and I remember it was a Thursday because we were cooking chili on that day and remember someone my mom called i'm like really like (laughs) all these details but all those details that's those are the smells those are the tastes those are the feels right that's all the stuff that makes the story worthwhile whether it's the truth or a lie so yeah i i I need to get better at that myself I'll, i'll tell you the truth I'll tell you this. I think from, from our project and Ro- roast, it's kind of a lesson I've learned from roast time and like things that he's said, uh, in Q and A's and such is that, um, that I've kind of taken to heart was this project kind of inspired the both of us to, to ask those questions to our family, um, that maybe we didn't before. And, and ever since we, we've kind of wrapped it up, um, uh, wrapped up production and stuff like, I started asking my mom, my mom about her, her mom who, who is, who passed away a few years ago and, and trying to get stories, uh, from Indonesia where she's from and, and kind of being more curious about that. And then also asking my grandma here in the States, uh, just recently, just like, Hey, where, where did you work? What was your, what were your jobs, uh, when you were a teenager, when you were in your early twenties? Um, and so as I will, I will say, I got that from Rostam and just his, his relationship with his grandfather and, and, uh, and, you know, wanting to know more about like kind of where we came from and where my sister and I came from. And so it's been a, it's been an enlightening process and uh, I'm pretty grateful for it. I want to do this audience a solid Nick and, and feel like we've been talking about humans of New York and Brandon Stanton and their audience members are like, what are these guys talking about now to us? We couldn't imagine it, right? It's too popular, but there are audience members out there that are going to be like, what's this all about? So, uh, roast them. If you can just share how you met Brandon, what is humans of New York? 
and the story of your grandfather and, and, and how it all happened and led up to the, the short film that's, that's coming out. Uh, did it already come out on the, on, at the end of the 2023 or is it? Or so it's, it's gone through uh, the festival circuit a bit. It uh, yeah. premiered at DC docs in Washington, DC and yeah. um, played at a couple smaller festivals and then also as well as doc NYC in New York. Um, yeah, and then we've okay. got some screenings of like Big Sky coming up in Montana, which is what we're really excited for. Sweet. I hope you'll submit it to the Nashville Film Festival. It's Oscar qualifying film festival in certain categories. So I hope sure. you'll do that too. Um, okay. So back to you, Rustin. Like, tell us, tell us, get this audience up to speed from the beginning. What is Humans of New York? Who is your grandfather? Why? And, and how did you meet Brandon? And how did you all connect this into a film? Yeah, happy to. Um, so, if you asked me when I was 13 or 14, who is your favorite artist in the world? If you asked people in my class, they would have said, I don't know, Drake or Kanye West. I would have told you Brandon Stanton because I was obsessed with his art since I was a kid because <laughs> I always loved, I loved like humanitarian um, kinds of projects in general and work that spoke to that greater commonality. And it's probably because of the way, you know, our, our grandparents raised all his grandkids, not, not me, but the things he talked about and his art seemed to reflect that. I mean, I remember, seeing this picture of uh, as a construction worker with one arm holding something on his boat on his blog. And his question was like, what are your problems? Tell me about your problems. And his answer was no problems. Right. And I'm just like, you got these snapshots into how other people mm -hmm. lived and it broke down all sorts of stereotypes and all sorts. And it just got to like the, the real heart of what, what, what holds us all together. Right. And so, you know, when I became, I don't know, 24, 25, like I, I've always, I was always looking, hey, is there anyone I can reach out to? And then someone mentioned I, I, you know, met him or I know his, have his email and they connected us and I sent him an email and I was so excited and wow. never heard back. Um, and then six months later, I just <laughs> thought, hey, you know what? I never heard back. I'm just going to swing at it again. And I, I did. And uh, funny enough, he said, let's jump on a Zoom call. And we jumped on a Zoom call. And outside New York, he, he, he has a place in Georgia, which is where I, which is where I lived. And it was 10 minutes from my house. And so we went out for a, you know, a steak, steak dinner one night and spent three or four hours talking and, wow. told him, you know, we, you know, told him what his art meant to me and we, we chatted and he had already, he had been to Iran, to Iran and had done a really cool story there of the people, right. And showing them, Hey, these, these are, this, these are not their government. Don't mistake Iranian people for this Islamic Republic that's holding them hostage. And I thought that was a great service. And so people who've done that, like Anthony Bourdain himself are people who mean a lot to me. I think their art means a lot to the Iranian people in the community. And so, um, at the time I talked about my grandpa, he's like, your grandfather's an you know, 88 year old man. And I told him, but, but like, you have to hear what he did. And to, to me and our family, he's a hero to a lot of Iran, to a lot of people. He's a hero. And he was a parliamentarian who came from a very wealthy family and said, you know, wealth is not what matters. It's what kindness and, and service. And, you know, he, he was a parliamentarian who imagine a senator who takes a salary and it just dumps it all back into projects in his region and over 190 development projects. And by the time the revolution happened and all the other senators are worried about the parliament, parliamentarians are worried about how much money to build up my bank. One of them came up to my grandpa. I was like, why are you not freaking out like the rest of us? He goes, I have $14 left. Two to a man, fourteen dollars left my bank account. Like I, I, I didn't come here to, to take from the country. I came to give back because he really believed in service. Um, and he, you know, he, he, he was just a, like my grandma always says, you know, Pivey's, you're too much an idealist. You're too good for this world. You need to stop, stop learning, start learning <laughs> the, the game everyone else plays. But he refused, you know. And um, 
Mm-hmm. And Brandon understood, but he goes, how do you make an 88-year-old man relevant to you know a, a modern, young American audience? Like, it's too quiet of a story. And he said, I'll do, I'll do like an mm-hmm. hour, I'll do one or two interviews. It won't take me more than two hours. I'll do one post. And he came over, and then he came over, and then he came over, and then he came over. <laughs> yeah. and he kept asking me to come pick him up and drop him off. And it was like I was picking him up from school and dropping him off. And we were both learning at the <laughs> foot of the school teacher, which is my grandfather. And he told me, he says, Rista, I'm like, I'm at a point in my career where, you know, I've, I've accomplished a lot, but no story in my life has transformed me the way your grandfather has. And I think your grandpa, his impact in my life is, you know, among the top, whatever, three, four individuals who shaped my life. And so to hear someone who I always idolized as a kid, who was one of my heroes, to look to my other hero, my, my biggest hero, and see what I see in it and share it with the world, it was extremely affirming, morally and validating. And just to you know, I pitch myself. I thank God. I thank God, you know, for the unbelievable blessing to have that moment. You know, that's something that will always be, no matter what happens. And I'm grateful to Brandon Stanton, and, and grateful to God, and grateful to my grandfather for for having that uh, those months, those nine months together. Nine months, man. That's that's insane. Like, I I was a I'm a follower of Humans of New York too, and I got one of the books here on mm-hmm. my shelf. And I, I'm thinking back. I'm like, is there any other 54 part series on humans of New York. I don't think so, man. I think this is one of one and it will always be one of one. It's pretty awesome. It is. It's it's so beautifully written too. It's like, um, I knew the story, but when he released it, like I already had made the film about it and I was, I was still reading it and I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, this is so beautifully told. And, uh, yeah, you gotta hand it to the man. He's what he was the a, timing like on that, by the way, on Humans of New York and the film. Like, when did though did they overlap? How'd that work? So Rostam had called me. I don't know how far you were into the interviews, Rostam, but um, you know, he had he had called me pretty early in the process when they were starting the interviews. I think, and uh, I think it was I don't forget whose idea it was. Maybe Rostam or Brandon's was like, we should probably just get this get this on camera just so you your family has a record of it. Right. Like, do you know any filmmakers that that can come out and just put it, uh, put it on camera? And, um, and so he calls me and I fly down to, to Atlanta to do it. We, we, you know, all I was there to do was really put together the crew, make sure the cameras were there on time and make sure it looked good. It sounded good. Um, and I'm sitting back there on my laptop as, as a lot of producers do that, you know, when, when things are rolling and I'm got the contact in and I'm listening to the story and, listening to Rostam's translations of it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, do we not have a post-production plan? Like, do we not have an end game for this? <laughs> oh, because yeah. this is really fascinating and this is really heartbreaking and um, funny at the same time. And, <clears throat> and really just amazing. And uh, so I think after day one, Rostam and I like looked at each other and we're like, we should, we should edit this together. Like, let's, let's make a film out of this. Let's, let's, organize um, more days you know like uh, outside of these interviews let's do more like let's let like let me come in do my own interviews after we've kind of pieced together what what, you know where we want the story to go and then we can kind of supplement it with with other things and um let's go shoot with him out on location and stuff like that and um just really tell the story right and let's like make a film a short film at least and uh and it could have been a it could have been a, a feature film i think if we really wanted it to be and um, still came. So it's, yeah, there was just such potential after, after just a couple hours of hearing, hearing him speak. And, 
Um, and then obviously I was like, Rostam, let me direct this as well, because I really, really <laughs> want to do this. And yeah, thankfully and, and he, just, uh, he trusted me enough. And just to give the audience some background, you, you do have a film background. You've made a feature before called mm-hmm. In the Dark of the Valley. You mentioned producing Helen Believe, which is a short film prior to this short film. It's a feature um, film, actually. Helen Believes is a feature. Yeah. Oh, Helen Believes is a feature. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So bo- both of those short. are feature films. Yeah. yeah. In the Dark Valley and Helen. Yeah. And Helen, both feature films. So you have this film background. You went to film school. You went to Harbinger School of Theater and Film at ASU, Arizona State University. I think it's called uh, Herberger at the time. Yeah. Herberger. Herberger. Nope. Yeah, That's just Herberger. me being dumb. Herberger <laughs> uh, School of Theater. So so it, it's okay. Like the audience is used to that. So it's, <laughs> no, no, it, no. That was, that was Chris's, uh, what is it? <laughs> Pink Panther, Heberger. Yeah. Heberger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that, good pull. Good. That's a very good pull. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, like you, you know what you're doing and, um, you felt like you, you could do it. Um, but I, but I am, I am curious about, you know, sort of how you approached it from a story standpoint as a filmmaker, you know, so having that mm-hmm. experience, you know, people are leaning on you to take, these interviews and make a, a movie, which is different than the story you tell in an interview. What, what was your approach? Uh, what did you decide you would need from a crew standpoint, um, production design standpoint, um, uh, yeah. post standpoint. So, um, when we originally came out to Atlanta, just to shoot the interviews, like we, we, you know, we came with the, the whole shebang, like we have multiple cameras, um, kind of set it up, set it up talk show style, which I don't, I don't think we would have, have like done if we had like a short film in mind, um, mm-hmm. leak going in. Um, so, t- but again, so tell we, the audience what that is just for the people that don't. So it was like, t- we had ro- the cameras to be set up. Yeah. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had a cam that was kind of a wide angle two shot of looking at both Rostam and, uh, Parvi's, uh, kind of sitting and talking to each other with mm-hmm. Brandon off, off camera feeding Rostam questions and they were kind of going back and forth. And then we had two singles for each of them. Um, and so we just kind of got enough coverage just so we could, you know, if we ended up wanting to edit something together, um, we could, and, you know, yeah. kind of sequentially. And, um, and then for, for the rest of the, the, the shoot, once we figured out, it's like, okay, we, we should make something cinematic. We should make something, um, with really thoughtful and artful. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, kind of relied on single cam a little bit just to make it a little more cinematic and, you know, set up some things in the house and his, his the house itself. Like there's not much product production design you need to do. It's just, it's, there's so many things that he's, it's, it was ready to roll. There's, there's yeah. uh, Iranian artwork. Uh, there's artwork that, that Rostam's grandma had painted herself. That was like so beautiful. Um, there's just so many things on the walls and artifacts and things that have to do with the book of Kings or the Shaname that's featured prominently in the, in the movie. And so it was like very easy. Everything looked very picturesque. And, um, and, and then it was, uh, from there, like it was kind of the, the, the biggest task was going through, you know, the, the days and days worth of transcripts that we had gotten from Brandon's interview and then just trying to see, okay, what sticks out to me? Like, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I'm going to be telling a different story than Brandon. Um, and we ended up telling different stories. So I was like, okay, what sticks out to me? Okay. I like, okay. He talks about uh, his, his obsession with gardening as a kid. 
and in uh, the an obsession that he <laughs> that continues now okay that to me Amazing. that really relates to to him tending to to uh to his um constituency right in in iran and it's like a lot of the same attributes that he he uses well while gardening he can you can apply to his time in parliament so i was like okay let's let's stick with that um let's stick with the story of him like needing the pain the pain he had to go through when leaving that really sticks out that's obviously needs to be in there um and then let's he talks a lot about uh legacy or nom and um and so that's that's something that just that really resonated with me and and it was just, yeah, it was kind of a puzzle, like just to kind of piece those together. And, but, uh, and it took a long, long time, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and then, and then we, after we kind of had our through line and, and where we wanted to take it, we came back and, and got all the other stuff that we needed to get. And so it was a, a mixture of two, two trips that were months and months apart, but, um, how was there was the any, yeah, the, the short film ended up being like 28 minutes, something like that. All right. Oh, well, because so it's a long short film. It's a long it is, short film. It is, but so, let me so translate. Were, were there any stories? <laughs> yeah. Right, wait, like, but listen, listen, listen. Yeah, 28 minutes. 28. But how long did it take to make this? You said it took a long, long time. You said months. Oh, yeah. I just want months. people to understand, right? So how many months did it take to get to 28 minutes? Oh, my gosh. It took almost a full... I don't even think we're like, you could argue that we're not even done. We, right. Cause it took, it took, uh, maybe five, six months to edit the film and yeah. maybe even longer than that. I don't even know because, uh, we, cause we started with a wonderful editor, Azade Navai in, in Los Angeles. And, um, she did such a great job, like kind of getting me started cause she's, she's from Iran and, um, she was able to kind of just help me with the translations and all that and kind of mm-hmm. just, put, put it together. And then, and then I kind of took over and, um, we weren't really on a schedule, so I don't even know how long, like it took me after that, but it took quite a while, cl- close to a year probably. And then, um, and then like once the film was out and then we released the film and people saw it and people, uh, you know, people in the Iranian di- diaspora saw it. And then we got new footage of Parvi's in parliament that we couldn't, we didn't find before. And so now Rostam and I are like, this is really beautiful footage and he can, can speak to what he's, what the footage is, but it was like, Oh, this has to be in it. Like, like we have to open the project back up and somehow put it in. We just haven't had time yet, but, um, cause it's kind of a recent development. And so it's like, we're probably not even done. Like we need to we figure out how <laughs> well, to, well, that, how to put that's what up. I want to geek out on right there. It's just like the, the honest conversation around the trouble that arises when you have to kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. as an editor and as a filmmaker, I'm sure that Parvi had so many great stories that you don't want to cut any of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess two questions coming out of it. Should you cut more stories to make it tighter, especially if you're going to add footage and mm-hmm. then probably go over that 30 minute mark for what a short really is or mm-hmm. 35 minute mark. And then two, are there already stories that were incredibly difficult not to leave in that you had to cut out just to keep the story continuity going and to keep yeah. the, the depth of it going? There were, there were so many stories that we had to cut out, um, including like uh, an injury that he had suffered during, during a, a tough time that where he injured his eye, he lost his eye. There's a whole, a, whole, oh a lot of things that Rose Tom could speak to a little more than I can, but um Will will we 
leave stuff out. I feel, I mean, we had to leave certain things out just because I think we wanted to keep it as singular as possible. So, you know, there, there was, it was really heartbreaking. We have his wife, Mitra, in it, um, Rassam's grandmother. Uh, we had her in it for a long time. And then we were, we were like, okay, we're kind of distracting away from our through line a little bit. And it, it's yeah. heartbreaking. And then we had Rostam in it for a little bit um, himself. And we're like, ah, Rostam. Uh, he's not great on camera, so let's not let's put him in. Um, and so, yeah, we we so I think having that uh, under thirty minute, um, you know, keeping you know, we had a goal. It's like it got to be under thirty minutes, and that like really forces your hand. And it would be very easy to be like, oh, we can make it forty five, right? We right, can make yep. it an hour, but it's like <laughs> no, we got to make it thirty. It's already hard enough to get into festivals with thirty minute film. So, um, so yeah, there was. A lot of decisions had to be made, but it's kind of that's also kind of the fun part. Which one of you guys did the score? Which one of us? Uh, the yeah. score, uh, neither. The mu- the music uh, is <laughs> an award winning uh, composer now. Um, she won for she won an HMMA uh, HMAA award for this film. Uh, Katie Jarzbowski um, mm. in San Francisco area, the Bay Area, and she's I've she worked on my feature in Dark Valley and. Um, and she uh, she's very talented, and I'm going to work with her for hopefully the rest of my career. So right. she's Hollywood a genius. Music and Media Award. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. She won for best short documentary. She uh, as it was, we were very very happy and very thrilled for her. I, I can imagine that the story works on a whole other level if the score is right. That's why I asked that. Mm-hmm. You have the wrong score on that thing, and it would be a slog at that length oh, yeah. for a short film. But but to have the score in there to keep pushing you forward, uh, we've mentioned this guy before. His name's Ben Proudfoot. He does a bunch of these shorts. Yeah, we know Ben. Docs, and yep. he's really, really good at making sure the score matches the tone of the of the conversation. That's the selection right. and, and, and taste is is remarkable. Uh, ben, ben Proudfoot, his films are what inspired us to do this short film. Um, oh, there you go. And, and we, we know Ben a little bit. We've, we've seen him yeah. around at festivals and, uh, and Chris Bowers and all. And uh, yep. so we, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we're very familiar with their work. And, Dude, he's, he's Nick, Nick Bugs. Yeah, what are you waiting for? Nick Bugs. Yeah, what are, yeah, what are you yeah. doing? Get <laughs> Ben Proudfoot on the podcast. What I, are you dude, doing? I'm working. I'm working it, bro. We might have another connection here. You know, we've had one of his <laughs> I mean, producers come, on. I mean, come on. Hey, we've had one of his producers on. Now it's time to get to, because yeah, I'm a big they fan. They all said it's you like, were this great thing. And yeah, hey, look, I, hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the thing. I'm working on the thing. <laughs> but it, I'll tell you this. It's like, if people ask about short, you know, documentaries, I'm always sending them to you know to ben proudfoot like it's mm-hmm. just same it just you just gotta watch right it's just and you gotta and the crazy thing about it is that i don't know how many times and hopefully you guys have felt this way even with your your short and it is you know it's a little bit longer than some of some of ben stuff but i always have to go back and look at how long it was because it's not that long it's very yeah. short and i'm mm-hmm. like i felt like i've been watching this for two hours like i know so much about this character i feel for this character i feel like i i know the environment i've been there and i look back and i'm like mm-hmm. this is only 18 minutes like are you kidding <laughs> so i just yeah I, yeah he, uh, breakwater studios he um i showed roast um i think this is how i kind of sold you on it uh not that you needed much push <laughs> but uh i i I sent him a concerto as a conversation, which was one yep. of my favorite shorts. Oh, and yes. then, uh, I got to, was had the privilege of seeing, um, their latest film, uh, the last repair shop, uh, at doc NYC this year. And, 
And that, that one I could tell in his Q and a, he was like, this is a long one. It's 45 minutes. And he, it was like, you could tell it pained him like, yep. cause it's his longest film, <laughs> it's, but it's uh, very long. Yeah, yeah. Huge fan. Yep. Love, love Ben. Nick, what do you got? We got, it. We, got it. we got to pitch it to, to Rostam just to get some of this. There's, there's a lot here before we go out to, to pop a bear for some things we should know. Um, yeah. but in addition to the story of, you know, Bub John, which means grandfather, right? Um, we also have, I think you said before, there's, there's a foundation, there's an organization that also is behind yeah. all this. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think that that's very important for the context of this story as well. Absolutely. So the name of our nonprofit is Nimruz, which is from the Book of Kings. And it's a land where the heroes get together to fight injustice. And it really focuses on cultural activism, you know, focusing through art and education. Um, because culture is not neutral. I think like culture either exploits and attacks or it uplifts and it defends. And for a long time, Iranian culture has been under attack because the whole country is held hostage by an Islamic dictatorship called the Islamic Republic. And mm. so if you can't, you know, actually, like they, when they took over, they banned the Book of Kings. They banned the Shahnameh, right? They're scared of books. And people who are scared of books, I've learned historically, are the worst kinds of people. And so um, if they're not going to, if the country there, the government is, is anti this culture, who is going to protect it? A lot of these people who fled and escaped, you know, it's tr it's real trauma. They, they, you know, being Iranian for a lot of people for a long time was, you know, uh, a target on their back. You know, they didn't want people to judge them or mock them. And, you know, you have in the U.S., you had, you know, this just this look towards all Middle Eastern people as the other. And um, I want us to take mm -hmm. our dignity back, to stand up tall, to walk proud. You know, we, we come from a rich heritage, a civilization that's, you know, over 3,500 years old with some of the greatest philosophers, artists, musicians, poets, you know, we've had, we've contributed so much to the global pantheon. Um, and yet that's been kind of lost. And so I think that before we can take our country back, we have to take our culture back and our values back. And um, those values are things that we find in Persian history and in our, in our poetry and the book of Kings. And so Nimruz is a dedication to that. It's cultural activism uh, it's talking about art. It's talking. About, it's it's supporting education. It's supporting aid. So um, the work we've done, whether it's been supporting refugee camps in Lesbos, Greece, where uh, you know Iranians who've fled to Afghanistan are now fleeing from Afghanistan, uh, largely women and kids who are facing you know the threat of the Taliban, for example, or whether it's supporting um, the building of schools within Iran uh, through a partner nonprofit. Or whether it's talking about the Shahnameh, the Book of Kings, and getting it mainstream. And so, like, we work with an artist right now, and I could show you this who, you know, sends me, he's doing pop up books, and he's like, hey, I'm teaching the kids, American kids in third grade in Brooklyn, about uh, the, the Book of Kings. And there's third graders, and they're drawing all these pictures of, of our phoenix, of our, of our heroes, right? Of, of Zal and Rudabe and Bijan and Rustam. And he's so excited. This artist, he goes, this school in Brooklyn taught my Book of Kings to their students. Look at the wall. These are third grade illustrations of the book. They all know about our heroes and they're obsessed with the Seymour. These are all American kids, right? That to me is truly the work of culture. Yeah. It's not screaming in a silo to the 10 people who already understand what our culture is. It's really taking that to the people and really uniting us. Because I think nothing will unite us the way culture can unite us. And that's true for any people. And I think, I think what's the, what the Iran-American community is 
is doing is what any community should do. And that culture is not something to say, hey, we're better than anyone else. It's saying, hey, we're just like you. And here's the things that you celebrate like us. And how can we grow together and tap into that deeper humanity? So that's, that's what my grandpa spent his life doing. And I'm hoping that's what me and I started this with my, with my cousin, my oldest cousin. Um, and I hope that we can help and all his grandkids can continue the legacy of, of the man we know to be the, the truest hero um, of, you know, for us and for a lot of other people who, who know him. So believe it or not, I actually uh, spent some time in the Baha'i faith. And that is a faith that uh, started and came out of Iran. And I actually had a Baha'i wedding as well. And I sort of learned about this division that exists between Persians and Arabs. So can you explain to the audience what that division is or isn't and what the fight is about and how through sort of your work with, with, with the nonprofit, you hope to sort of overcome that within, you know, sort of your, you know, Iran's own space. If so, it, if it can be overcome. Well, I think, I think the question you asked, there's, is there's more to it because the Baha'i faith is, uh, is a form of Islam that's a minority within Iran that's been under attack by the Islamic Republic, just the way other religions are, like uh, a Jew, Judaism or Christianity or people who have of no faith. So uh, Baha'is are targeted and they're completely abused uh, within the Islamic Republic of Iran. But I think the the the, the, the if you're talking about the um, Arab Iran um, difference, there's people who, who might point to modern Islamic Republic and say, oh, they're Shiite, but the a lot of the Arab states are are Sunni, but the that would be a that would be missing the bigger picture, which is okay. Iran is not uh, Iran's history. It's it's not rooted in Islam. Ir, Ir, Iran uh, Islam was forced on Iran fourteen hundred years ago by Arab invaders and conquerors who brought it with a sword and said, "People who don't speak Arabic, we're going to cut out your tongues." And, you know, made Arabic the language of the courts and suppressed. And, and that's why you see so much of Iranian culture came up in the underground. Like mm. if you look at Zurkhune, which is the word for the gyms, they do all these trainings with, with these uh, movements and they do it with poetry and they keep their culture alive. And those are all kind of um, w- like uh, w- warrior training movements. Like there was this whole underground scene. And, and that's why the oral tradition was passed down. Uh, these epic poems are tales to remind ourselves who we were. And so the Book of Kings, which was written by Ferdowsi in about a uh, thousand, uh, thousand years ago, and more than that, about a thousand or so AD, captured the pre-Islamic history and mythology and philosophy of Iran. Because um, Iran's first, uh, first, the first religion, the first monotheistic religion in the world is called Zoroastrianism, and it came out of Iran. And that was, let's say, a thousand years before Cyrus the Great. So that is the route that Iranians now are going back to, which is a national identity, saying, hey, you don't force us to, into a religion. Don't focus into a box. We are a nation. We are a country, and we want to celebrate that plurality, whether it's sexual preference, whether it's faith, whether it's, you know, what, whatever it is. And I think that is the, that is the, the misconception that a lot of people have. They think, Iran Muslim, whereas that's not the case. Iranian people uh, have a history that they go back to their Persian roots and their Persian identity and their pre-Islamic 
Uh, and that's why I think so much of the work in culture is uh, in education is harmful because they they pull in Persian history and Iranian history and they call it Islamic history or Islamic studies. That's like calling, you know, uh, let's say Western history, Christian history. Like you couldn't just mm-hmm. white, you whitewash it in that sense. And so that's what we're reawakening people to and, and, and helping educate them and saying, hey, t-, and, and, and they're not against each other, but I'm against any culture or any group that says only our way because that's not freedom. And Iran in the old days was referred to as Azadegan, the land of the free, right? And so I think freedom is one of those ideals and virtues that we have to really say this is a this is a red line for us. We we are not willing to ever give this up as a part of our identity. Man, that is huge, man. I did not know that. I did not even know that saying existed. And I think people view Iran as a sort of a monolithic place, maybe even Middle Eastern as a monolithic place that has this one ideal. And I love the work you're doing because it shows it. Um, how can I say this? It, it, it identifies uh, and, and aims to sort of um, separate uh, Iranian people, but, but maybe all the Middle Eastern people from this oneism that the Western that benefits Western politicians sometimes and benefits Western power sometimes to say that's the enemy or they're like this and you miss out on all this rich history. And by the way, I think there are some Christian organizations that would conflate Western history with Christian history incorrectly. And I think, you know, sort of bucking back against that is great too. Um, we should bring in producer Papa bear <laughs> Producer Papa Bear, let's, let's, uh, yes, let's bring in Producer Papa Bear for this edition, the latest edition of Things We Should Know. Guaranteed to be something (laughs) we don't know, guaranteed to make us all look foolish. Except except for Nicholas and and Rostam. Because they they should know it. And they they, will probably should because they're the ones who Mm -hmm. should know it. So Mm -hmm. as you can tell, I'm putting additional pressure. And and our aim is to educate. (laughs) We want to educate our audience. While educating me and Nick. That's right. Actually I have Rostam and Nicholas already know it. I have two tonight. Okay. Uh, one one for uh, Nicholas Mm-hmm. And one for Rostam, uh, but I mean we're all going to answer it. Okay, we're all welcome to pitch in, but one you know mm-hmm. flavored for uh, each person. All right, for Nicholas's area, we've been talking about documentaries. Mm-hmm. So, who first coined the term documentary, and in what year? <laughs> 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 get on it, that's, man. That's easy. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> like uh, Doctor Frederick documentary um, in eighteen thirty-five. Right, obviously, eighteen thirty-five before cameras. I don't yeah, know. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Bear, that's a tough. That's a, that's a that's a that's a tough one, producer Papa Bear, yeah. because. Um, that's not necessarily a Nicholas Mim specific question. That is like that is well, like that's his field. It is You're right. Okay, so you should know it, bro. I wonder, Burns, I wonder if Ken Burns. I wonder if Ken Burns could answer yeah. that question. I'm curious right. if you ever have let's, it on a no, podcast, dude. Like, if you see Ben, if you see Ben next time, ask him that question, and you'll ask know the answer. Question, and you'll know the answer. And it'll, yeah, it'll be you know you'll. 
give him a thing he should know. Uh, okay, so Nicholas's answer is 1835 by Dr. <laughs> Doc Mentor. Friedrich. Friedrich Mentory. All right. <laughs> Roll stone. What do you what do you got? What do you think? For the documentary question? Yes. <laughs> He's like, I'm not answering that question. Oh. <laughs> just give us a year. Give us a year. Yeah, just give us the year. First documentary. Um I don't even know when the camera was. No, there. who coined the the year the term was coined? There oh. were documentaries before, right? But this but who is who coined the term? Who coined 19. the term? And what year? They weren't called documentaries, and then one day we started That's calling right. them documentaries. Hmm. They were first called actuality films. Well, it's like that's a thing we should know right there. Well, well, it's also like movies movies with people talking. Yeah, it was like movies with people talking was called a talk. You know, today we call them uh, reality films or reality TV. Actuality films. That's yep, yeah, that's yeah. Actuality 1927. There we go. Okay, we got 1835, 1927. Mr. Bugs, what do you got? I'm going to go 1943. 1943. I am going to go. That's during World War II. I can see why you would want to coin the name. We had the shift from the word propaganda to public relations right around 39, 38. So it had been another good time to shift the name actuality films to documentary. Mm. I am going to piggyback on Nick's logic here. Mm. And I'm going to say, because it took them four or five years to get all that footage from World War II out of post, 1946. Oh, I was going to say, he's going to go over, he's going to go under, right? Uh, let's see. Yeah. 1946. And, um, and we're going to pick uh, Carl Weiss. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Weiss was right. the one who coined it. No, I don't. I don't and I, and, and listen, I'm, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to go. I don't think he's old route. enough to coin I don't, it. Right? I don't know the name. Might be. But I'm going to say it was a woman who coined the term documentary. Okay, I'm writing this down. Nick says woman. Nick I'm going to say white guy over the age of 60. <laughs> okay, I got, I got Rostam saying white guy over 60. Women didn't have rights back then. Well, wait, women 19, no, after 1920, after suffrage. For a long yeah. time in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying. Well, I'm, gonna, over I'm gonna stick with a, a physician in the in the early eighteen hundreds. Yes. There you go. He's uh, Nicholas Mim is sticking with Frederick. And remember Doc, he had a monocle. Just want to let y'all know that. He had a <laughs> <Yeah>. monocle. <laughs> Frederick <laughs> Mentory. Frederick right. Mentory did it. Dr. Frederick <laughs> Dr. Frederick Mentory. All right, Papa Bay, give us the answer. About antibiotics, Nick. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You'll see when this I'll get it right. Yeah, that's well, right. Exactly. In actuality, mm. Rostam is the closest because it was a Scottish born filmmaker named John Grierson mm. in nineteen twenty six. Ooh, oh my God! Yeah. He almost nailed it. Wow! He almost was spot on the. Yeah, if you would have guessed the actual year, you would have got full points for that. Yeah, that, that would have been insane. I would have met. But hey, John look. Grierson. You said how do you spell Grierson, Papa Bear? G R I E R S O N. He was born in 1898 and died in 1972. Oh, good life, man. Good but life. listen, listen. I like this this thought process that Nick had, though. I like it because I know Nick. You called him. His last name was Documentary, but I would have actually made his last name Umentary. 
Why would oh, I do yes. such a thing? Yes. Be- because he was a doctor. So I would have called him documentary. Doctor Umentary, yeah. yeah. Doctor right, I would have called him documentary. Come on, bro. <laughs> my my time in improv class is not uh, not See? <laughs> Anybody wanna guess uh what was the first original documentary film? Mm. So uh, it precedes nineteen twenty six. Was it the no, that wasn't a documentary though. That was a uh, and it's one we've talked about before on this podcast. Um, I believe. I bet it has something to do with the flapper girls of the twenties. Something, something, sexu- Wait. something about women's sexuality. Something is something in that in that space. Something like erotic. How? how what is it, Papa Bear? I'm, wait, 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 wait. Well, I'm going to go this, Nanook of the North. Nanook. That, <laughs> Nanook of the North. I think I gave him that clue when we we said we talked about it before. That's correct. Nanook oh. of the North. And Good job, Nick. Nick. Do you know what year that came out? Oh man, nineteen nineteen. Wait, wait, wait. Was it nineteen twenty-two? Yeah, it was about Eskimos, not sexy girls. Right. Was it nineteen twenty-two? Wait, wait. He's brought us not. Well, what year was it? Of the North. Was it twenty-two? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's one thing y'all didn't know. Sadly, Nanook died. Like mm, yeah. very soon after that documentary came out, died of starvation. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's crazy. They, they treated him like National Geographic. They don't yeah. save you, bro. Right. Yeah. They're not they saving you. They take no. their film, they take their crew and get out of there. That's right. That's Good right. Good luck, Nanook. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. That reminds me, hands. everybody should watch the new season of True Detective with Jodie Foster. It's watched episode one. That yeah. was that crazy or what, Nicholas? Like that was yeah. nuts. So I loved it. I'm ready. I, it's Let's a completely go. completely new direction I'm in. This yeah, is, this is that's my that's my stuff my, right there. My <laughs> wife said, "Where's where's the next episode?" I say, "They're not. It's not out." She was pissed. She <laughs> said, "She's become accustomed to like the next Netflix life where you can Binging. just watch the next episode." I was like, "Not here, man. They're making us wait, and rightfully so." Okay, Papa Bear. Question two for Rustam. This is one okay. he should know. Well, you should. <laughs> right. What was the first ethnographic documentary which depicted the lifestyle of Iranian nomads? Mm. And what year was it made or produced? Oh, man. Wow. wow. I didn't know this film existed. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> right. Well, you, well, you should because. Uh, Wait, listen. It was preserved in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Wow. As being culturally and historically and aesthetically significant. That's a lot of significance. Well, Library of Congress probably watched Prince of Persia and thought it was the ethnographic document. Well done. <laughs> yeah, well played, sir. Well played. well played. But but no, but I will say this is probably significant because when they were doing not only documentary films but narrative features, yeah. the portrayal of the Middle East was way off. Right. There was this yeah. imagination of what it looked like and what people look like. Like they didn't never go there. They're like, this is what we think it looks like. And that documentary probably flipped filmmakers 
and the industry upside down because it was like, no, nah, this is what it for real looks like. And they're like, y'all didn't, y'all don't know what you're doing. You're going to have to redo the sets. You're going to have to tear that stuff down because it's not legit. So yeah, I'm sure it has some significance in the film industry alone. Okay. So Papa Bear, this is a name. We need a name in a year, right? Well, name in a Ro- year. Roast time is going to go for the year because you don't know the name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just going year as well. I'm going to go. The year is 19. Uh, when was the uh, when when? Oh, God, see, see um, uh, I'm going to go 1959. Papa Bear, did you say ethnographic study of Iran? Documentary which depicted the lifestyle of Iranian nomads, and in what year was it produced? Okay, I, Chris, I think I'll I mean, tell you. Is it more modern then? I'll give you a little descriptor. The team of Ernest Shodsak and Marion Cooper accompanied a Buck Bakhtiari tribe with fifty thousand fellows and numerous livestock on their six-day cooch across the. Raging River, and over the highest peak of the Zagros Mountains in hope of finding green grazing fields. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess it's slightly newer. And yeah. I'm going to guess like 1975. I think hmm. that's a really good guess. I, I think I went too old as well. Hmm. I think it's more modern. Could you get away with that as a more... I'm, well, I just think that it would be harder to take a crew there, like earlier in in the history of filmmaking, right? Like it'd be maybe harder to make that movie. Well, th- when you say crew there, you know, when I listen to the names of the people, the filmmakers, are they even from here? No, they're not from U.S. But I'm saying that it would be to me, it would be I don't know, it'd be harder to document. The cameras would be heavier. Everything would be bigger. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're thinking of uh, Babylon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the movie Babylon. Babylon is, yeah, Babylon is so good. Oh, right, yeah. This one, this one's got me because it's the uh, same thing. Like it's, it's, it's a his, it's historical precedent. It's a, it's a huge kind of shift in the zeitgeist around the Iranian people. You're, it, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard. I don't know. All right, we'll we'll let yeah. We'll it's Rostam. Throw your throw your date Rostom, out there, you and guess, then we'll let Papa and Bear then we'll let Papa Bear drop the real truth on us. I I don't know. My guess would be 1970. Um, the reason is before before Reza Shah, it was called Persia. So the fact that it's Iran tells us, you know, it's Reza Shah or Muhammad Reza Shah. I I think Reza Shah was too busy mm. fighting off the Cossacks and the Russians and the English and all these things. <laughs> Muhammad Reza Shah invested a lot of time expanding and showing Iran's culture to the world. You know, the largest celebration of all time was the 25th, 100th anniversary of the Ackerman dynasty. So I think that would, it sounds like something he would like want to do, but I, I don't know. So 1970 is my, my final answer. Okay. Um, the film was called The Grass. Hmm. Well, that's that's on the nose. <laughs> yep. Nineteen twenty-five. Oh my god! Look at that. Our instincts right. are our instincts well, are see, brutal on this. I yeah. I knew that there was the cult, because it was in the library culture. of Congress. It shifted things, but 
I don't know if I would have gone that soon after Nanook of the North. Like, wow. Shout out to, shout out to Warren Harding. <clears throat> yeah, shout out that's to Warren awesome. Harding. Because all these great movies are happening during his administration. And all he does is get shit on by everybody in the public eye. He's considered one of the worst presidents of all time. Shout out to Warren Harding, the filmmaker's president. <laughs> there was a remember, he, he's on the <laughs> East Coast. This was a silent film. Yeah. And the two producers were the same ones that made the uh, King Kong. Oh, later wow. made King yeah, Kong. Later made King Kong. All right. So they, I'm good. I'm glad they got their paycheck, man. Wait, wow. wait, 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 wait. wait. I got, they, lost, they lost money on the grass. I got something for you. I got <laughs> something for they, you on that they one. They definitely made it all back with King Kong. Y'all got to ask Brandon if he knows the answer to that question. <laughs> will yeah, ask probably. Will yeah. Ask yeah. Uh, by the way, the cool thing with the two things that you mentioned, you said mentioned the Zagros and the Bakhtiari tribe. So the Zagros mountains yeah. are actually where the first trace of beer in the world was discovered. And oh, wow. the, the, wow. Bakhti, the Bakhtiari tribe is famous for the, you know, they have these Bakhtiari rugs. No, so he's as they up. travel, I want to they, <laughs> they weave, they weave r- rugs. And, the, yeah. and, and so their rugs actually tell the journey of their people, which to me is a really beautiful image for like, you know, what culture does. It's a tapestry. Yeah. And, and they, they do that as they, as they journey. So that's a pretty, pretty fun oh, fact. Wow. I think that's awesome. And it, it makes me think about all these giant palaces that, are up and around Europe and every room sort of depicts a different place and how to, to have been considered royalty and to be cultured meant that you sent your Kings and your princes and your, and your courts to other countries and you took some of their culture and brought it back to uh, your, your palace. And if you guys, anybody that's been to Europe or gets to go through Europe, you'll see as you go into the palaces, not the cathedrals, but the palaces, you'll see a lot of, um, Iranian culture, Persian culture, Middle Eastern culture, Asian culture inside the palace because it, it, it was what you couldn't do or get if you were a commoner. So, um, yeah, people, uh, from the beginning of time have borrowed from the culture and, and sort of wowed at, uh, some of the things those cultures create. Um, before we wrap. Well, hold on. No, I got one more. F- I got. Okay. I got one more for you. Okay, go for it, Nick. Yeah, because Rosta mentioned this tapestry of the journey, yes. right? And it made me think of something. I'm like, yo, I made a tapestry of my childhood on this wall behind me. <laughs> you sure? <did. laughs> you sure did. You sure I'm did. like, I never thought about it like that. Like <laughs> what? Like that's <laughs> you when you talk about it like about that, me, bro. That's that's me right there. That when you awesome. talk like, about it. When you that's talk yeah. about like that, Nick, you you remind me of Robin Williams from that photograph movie where he was like the get dude developing all the photographs. And it was really sad at the end because he was telling you the meaning of a photograph. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm just seeing go. your childhood on the wall. I want to shed a tear. <laughs> but Rostam doesn't want to shed a tear. He's excited about this, man. Like he, oh, oh, he dropped man. this I'm in my head. Yeah. No, the way you put it, the way you put it right there was very beautiful, Nick. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with the appreciate world. It. Yeah, on this very podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, look at just look at all the things, the things that warmed your heart and things that, that, that you wore and things that you know broke your heart. It's all on your wall in the form of a Lego tapestry. That's right. That's right. It's- <laughs> 
I love these conversations, man. Like it's so reveal. You get to reveal so much of yourself in these discussions. You know, that's what's so great about it. Yeah, it is. It is true. And Papa Bear, thank you so much for these uh, always illuminating and always very illuminating. difficult yeah. questions and answers that uh, make us smarter every day. Uh, and before we wrap, I do want to just, I know you guys are on the festival run together uh, with uh, your short film. Uh, am I pronouncing this right? Uh, Bujan? Is that how you pronounce it? Say, pronounce it Bub-Jan. better? Bub John. Yeah. So just almost just how it sounds. So Bub John, uh, that's B U B J A N and look at it, uh, look for it, uh, at a festival near you. I, I do want to just ask what is next for you guys after this? Any ideas on the horizon? Anything you guys are considering making, um, feature wise or otherwise? The, the, the Bub John is still going to continue festivals. It's, it's next, uh, screening is in, uh, at Big Sky in Montana, Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, which we're really excited about. Um, what part of Montana is that in? It's in Missoula. Missoula, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we're. It's a festival I've always wanted to go to, and um, been man, you're gonna love so Montana. Really if you excited been before. Yeah, yeah. I, unfortunately, I can't go um, because uh, we'll be we'll be shooting this show that that Rostam and I are producing together, and. Um, about mm-hmm. entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship with a mission, uh, a positive mission in the world. And then um, developing. Uh, What's that series uh, named? Do you guys have a tentative? We, we don't. We have a, it's a tentative title, so we can't really tell you. Um, it, it, yeah. it could change. <laughs> I've been asked not to share its current title. Um, okay, but it's it. through, okay. a, through an amazing production company. Our production, uh, production partner is Religion of Sports um, mm-hmm. yeah, out here in L.A., which is a. Tom Brady and Michael Strahan and Gotham Chopra's uh, production company. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're putting the feelers out outside of sports and, and uh, expanding their, their storytelling. So uh, we're really grateful Love for them. It. And um, we'll yep. be shooting, shooting all over the world uh, this coming spring. Um, and then with uh, my director, director of animation who worked on the animation in Bob John and in the dark, of the Valley, we're developing a, a uh, short, short documentary, completely animated about a uh, physician um, and doctor, doctor burnout in the medical industry, uh, nursing burnout. And uh, um, so that's something we've been working on for the last year, um, developing and doing interviews with doctors and nurses across the country. And, uh, um, you know, we're, uh, we're really excited for that one, completely animated. So it'll be, it'll be really visually amazing. And uh, we're excited about it. Who's your animator? Uh, her name is Elise Kelly uh, in Washington D.C. An amazing, amazing animator. Um, uh, she's at Sundance right now pr- promoting a film that she was the director of animation for, and uh, has done some amazing, amazing work. And um, definitely should go check her out, Elise Kelly. Uh, man, this has got to be the last year, Nick. Me and you don't go to Sundance, like for real. <laughs> like, I'm so mad yeah, get that we're the not there right it. now. We got to get in there and do our pitch workshop or something. We got, we got to. Tell them what's up so, so we can be around this goodness. But that's, that's exciting, man. I'm so happy for you guys and, and well, just totally wish you the best and, and continue success in everything you're doing. Dr. Burnout is probably a, one of the most ignored, uh, problems in healthcare, not by people in healthcare, but by the general public because they view doctors as the ones that have power and money mm-hmm. within the healthcare space. But I think there's a report that says, somewhere around 60% of all doctors are in a state of burnout. And this is really, really bad, really, really bad. 
and it's bad for every, everyone should pay attention to it because, um, as one of my mentors once told me, uh, you too will end up in a hospital one day. So you have to make sure that the people that are treating your, your, your grandma and grandpa and your mom and dad in the hospital, keep them on their, on their P's and Q's because one day that will be you. And then yeah. we got to keep the standard high in healthcare. Well, the, the, the next one for me is teacher burnout. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be sending your kids to school, right? all the kids go to school, and we need to help these teachers as much as possible, at least, you know, respect what they go through. Because my mom is, you know, was a teacher as well. And just the stories about the numbers of things that she has to do with between lessons, plans, dealing with parents, it's just highly unappreciated from many different sectors of society. And it's just, so yeah, that's your next one, man. You do the doctors and the nurses. Yeah. To the teachers. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've done hours and hours of uh, pre-interviews with people all over the country and it's pretty remarkable the stories that you hear and just how they're treated. And, uh, and so hopefully we get to interweave some, uh, a few of these, a few of these stories and, and make something really powerful and hopefully game changing. Who knows? Yeah. You, Thanks for you doing guys that, got man. any, uh, you guys, uh, indeed you guys have any Oscar picks? Oscar picks. Um, Gosh, who any movie you think I already forget. It, yeah. Well, I don't even know what the noms are, but is there a movie that sticks out in your mind as the best thing you saw in 23 or early 24? I, I'm a huge Oppenheimer fan. So um, I, I think our uh, Chris Nolan fan. So I think Oppenheimer is pretty good with Barbie. I loved, I love, I watched so many movies this year that were so good. I just saw, um, was it poor things the other yeah, day? Yeah. And uh, yeah. American fiction was probably one of my favorite movies of the last while. Um, yeah, probably I think American fiction might be up there for me. Actually. I think that was, that was the thing I good. love about American fiction is that it's just a movie, man. It's just a movie. Like it's so you good. Get a, you, you get a sense that they could have made that for a million dollars. Like yeah. it, like if they didn't have to pay Jeffrey, Wright, Like in the, they have amazing cast in it, but you, you know that, uh, it was, I think it was made for 15, 10 or 15, you have to know that like 80% of that was just the cast. Mm-hmm. Or like, like, cause the movie, it's, it's just a movie. And I just love the fact that they do it all through smart writing and great performances. Yeah. Uh, it's really on. wonderful. What do you got? What's your, what's the best movie you saw last year? Uh, hands down, year? hands down the boy and the heron. Uh, the, oh, uh, yes. I haven't animated. seen that yet. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, love I animated love films. I loved working with Elise on Bob John and you know, we we're, we're working on a few other stuff projects together. Um, I just think it's an incredible platform that just, that just, you know, it just, it feeds your soul and feeds imagination. Like even seeing my grandpa's chapters of his life that I've heard a hundred times before, but seeing mm-hmm. it just does something for you. So I want to explore more in that medium. And then for Bub John, um, you know, I'm really inspired by the, like the Cunart Film Foundation. I think they're now called like Life mm-hmm. Stories. And they're like, yep. you know, they're, they're doing this project where they're archiving these, you know, really credible leaders like Brian Stevenson and you know others you know, like that. And they're sharing their work and not only do they tell powerful stories, they create the art, but then they use the art to educate and inspire others. Like we, the film that uh, premiered with us called the silent witness was against nuclear war. And it told a real life account of someone who went, you know, Great had their whole movie. family locked out by it and fantastic film. And the, uh, but then they have a guide, which, you know, whether it's middle school or high school or college can use this and adapt it and then teach their students. So, you know, art, creating beautiful art is, is important, no doubt, but actually using that and getting into people's homes and hearts is that's a huge challenge too. And oftentimes it's, we, we leave that on the table. So I haven't, you know, that's something I'm really excited about with Bubba John, which is how do we tell that? And then there's, you know, of the 
30 hours of interviews, we've only used five, 10 minutes in the film. So I yeah. want to splice the rest <laughs> up and create like a, you know, a short series that people can watch to go deeper into the culture and to have more questions. So I just want to, you know, keep going back to that. There was so much richness in it um, and find ways to educate, and inspire young people, both Iranian and non-Iranian uh, through that. So that, that's my goal, at least. Yeah. Inspire, educate. And if you happen to entertain on the way, yep. That's icing. That's a cherry on top. So, I think uh, it all goes back to culture in the end, right? Like, yes. uh, uh, For me, there's two, you know, there's culture, there's Iranian culture for sure. But the the things about love about Iranian culture are things like equality, freedom, justice, standing up for people, which is those same values apply to physician burnout, to teacher burnout, to whatever you do. And I think the thing I'm most interested in tackling in my lifetime is the culture of wealth, because I think it's the most sinister form of oppression where we all, lust after wealth and power versus loving each other. I think those things are completely mutually exclusive. And one of my mentors said once to me that, you know, the, the uh, economy is a subsect of society. Society is not a subsect of the economy. And what we have, the problems we mm-hmm. face, we're talking about both in the foundation series, both in the physical, uh, physical burnout versus in Bubjan is what happens when a society becomes held hostage by values that love power and wealth more than they love people. And so that's what I think art needs to negotiate, interrogate, and provide a, a moral Im- imagination for how we can be better. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he see, Chris, he just dropped that on us, and he, he completely <laughs> agree with him. By we, the way, yeah, I, I know, but we got to stop this conversation because we could wax poetic on this, just this subject for the next two hours, bro. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to drop it because you and I, Chris, have had this conversation about just music, and I will just say, music in the black community. And it exemplifies everything that you're saying about the things you should not be looking towards as your master, as your God, right? And I think that's what's happening right there in that community. Again, like I said, I could go on a whole conversation about that because, yeah, we both completely agree. And if you can have something that not, I don't want something to balance that out. I want something to burn that out, right? Like yeah. if there can be quality art and education Amen. that tells you about what the truth and the culture, the human connection is, the human connection doesn't exist in physical things, right? It doesn't exist in this space of separation. It doesn't exist in this space where I am better, or I am greater, or I got this stuff on my own. No, nah, man, we can't survive that way, right? Like Chris alluded to earlier, we're storytellers because that's how we took our traditions. That's how we took our histories. That's how we take our lives and impart that on other people's hearts. So we can't do that if we create music or any kind of other art that separates us from one another. Bro, like I'm saying, like I can keep going. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's you no, know, it's 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 a it's an it's an amazing point, Nick. And you know, I I have real concern about the black community, the especially the younger folks. It's it, it's split down the middle, still just like the old classic Chris Rock joke. So it, you know, it it's one of these things where you listen to the music, and if the music is really a reflection of um, the youth culture coming up, uh, we're in big trouble. Uh, we, yeah. we might be over, um, you know, and I think back as a musician myself, I, I think back to like, okay, uh, runaway by Kanye West, where he had sort of a very, very long, um, vamp where, uh, it was all sort of vocoder and the words were unintelligible, but the sound was beautiful. And I think it sort of ushered in this sort of era of feeling where I want to, I'm here to feel something 
not to learn or hear the words. Like I don't need the words. I don't need to be right. And, and, and that wasn't Kanye's intent. I don't believe, but what came right after that was, was post Malone and like, like um, Drake and all the people who would sing to you uh, uh, and make you feel a certain way within the music. And then you go and read the lyric book and you're like, what, what are they talking about? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. And now it's gone to a place where the lyrics are, are so vapid and so repetitive. And so uh, every song so, the so same Chris. where basically, basically, honestly, labels have seen what's making money and have decided to reproduce that. Yeah. And the new word is, Oh, that's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cause the beat is hot, yeah. but the words are trash, right? It's yeah. like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to worry about the words. Like, don't worry about that. Yeah. It's a vibe, right? You feel that? Nah, bro. Like, you can go, yeah. well, go read a book. We're, 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 we're in the, we're in the age of, of the vibe and, and, uh, and the whole thing of like, gives me feels of. Yeah. yeah and, yeah, yeah. and I think there's a space for it. But it shouldn't be the the dominant culture. And I always go back to what the artist Sia said, which is pop music is just indoctrination. So you have mm. to sort of get built beneath that. And I've always thought that was incredible for her to say since she is a pop artist. Um, but there's a reason she doesn't show her face. It's because they wouldn't let her because she, she wasn't pretty enough. She didn't fit the indoctrination. So to go a level below and find music that really speaks to you because those artists are out there. Um, Nicholas, can you tell us where we can find you on social media, on the internet, where we can absorb and consume some of your, you guys' work or your work? Let us, let the people know. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not that huge on social media, but you can find me on Instagram. Uh, I think it's N underscore Mimsy. And then, uh, yeah, NicholasMim.com is where you can see the rest of my stuff and get info about the other movies. Beautiful. Yeah. Rostam. Yeah, um, it's at Rustam Zafari, first name, last name. Um, but more importantly, at Nimruz, N-I-M-R-U-Z official. Um, that's where you can find what we're doing there. And just one note on what you guys mentioned on, on music is one of the projects we're doing right now is with uh, one of Iran's top rappers. And uh, mm-hmm. he raps about what's happening in human rights and politics. Like it's, it's such a higher level than like what you would expect. And he's training the next generation within Iran. And so this oh, album yeah. is like 14 different people from different parts of the country. And I think that's how we can all be part of this kind of cultural warfare and putting out the art. And just, I'm really excited when I see examples of that bridge building happening. Cause you talk about, you know, young black people, they need to look up to young, to the older black artists who've got it right. They need those mentors. Same is true with yeah. Iranians, right? And so, sorry, I just, I was really inspired by what y'all were no. just talking about. And it really fired me up because I just, <laughs> I love it. And I, and I think music is such an incredible, incredible way to do that. I'm here okay. for the Iranian immortal technique. Like if we can right. get Let's that, do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that 100%. Like Nick said, we could talk about it for hours. Yeah. So what that tells me is we definitely need to do a round two, yep. but uh, I'm just going to spell some of this out for the audience, by the way, uh, Rostam. So they have it. So it's R O S T A M Z A F A R I for social and for That's Googling right. and all that stuff. And then if you can spell out, um, the foundation. It's a Nima. Uh, can you, can you spell it out for everybody? Yep. Or yes, Nimruz, yeah. sorry. It's uh, at N I M R U Z official. That's the social it's handle. Instagram. Is there a website? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Nimruz.org is the uh, is .org the website. Sorry. Got it. So you got Nimruz official and then Nimruz.org as the two places to find and support, right? That's and right. Is yep. the best way to support money or is it? 
I think sharing the story that uh, that we've put out there, sharing our social media. I mean, if someone is able to support, we we love the the help. But I think <laughs> right, right, right. Watch the, watching the film, going to the screenings, like that. That was that's what means. Tell your friends about it. That's what means a lot to us. All right, you know what to do, folks. N i m r u z o f f i c i a l. That's Nimru's official on Instagram. Go to nimruz.org. Again, N-I-M-R-U-Z.org. Go support with your time, energy, and of course, your dollars. If you can do it, if you can't, just like, 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 uh, or also said, share it, send it to a friend, forward the link, do your thing. And in terms of us, the Make It podcast, you know, you can find us wherever great podcasts are listened to. That includes Apple uh podcasts spotify we have a somewhat new but awesome and wonderful youtube page all you have to do to find us there is search for the make it podcast and we'll come right up if you want to get in touch with nick you can email him brave man nick at bonsai.film that's b-o-n-s-a-i dot f-i-l-m some people will put bonsai film.com <laughs> no bonsai bonsai dot film <laughs> and i know yeah i know i know we i know we're messing with you with that but we thought it was clever and we're sticking to it um mm. you can reach out to me on x at flame in your heart you are is spelled or your is spelled you are <laughs> but you can also find me just by searching for my name chris barkley and i will come right up i will answer and nick will answer 100 of those responses and comments. So do reach out to us there. You can find us on social media on Instagram and on the aforementioned X at underscore make it podcast. And so do reach out to us there. We also have a handle at underscore bonsai creative. Uh, although, uh, that, that handle isn't long for the world, but you can find us there still and leave us comments and DMs as well. We're on Facebook at the make it podcast. So if you search for us at the make it podcast, we will come right up on that as well. Nick has a new Reddit and we are taking all sorts of questions these days on Reddit. It's been really wonderful. Nick, can you share your Reddit? Yeah, it's so easy. It's just Nicholas bugs. That's it. I actually use my name, you know, <laughs> like I'm not wizard 72 at whatever. <laughs> I just Nicholas bugs. You can find me there. Uh, I just, just want down for saying that. I just wanted people. Yeah. I just wanted people to know, like, that's the dude that's on here. That's the dude that's on the podcast. Simple, right? Nicholas bugs on Reddit. And I want to make sure that people understand one more thing. And I need Rostam and Nicholas to understand this. When you tell people that you are on our podcast, I need for you to enunciate because maybe Make it, if you say it too quickly, sounds like naked. It is not the naked podcast. It is the make it podcast. Naked, make it. It Y'all sounds are too now close. Lucky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> What's funny is the reverse of that, which is where they thought they were joining the make it podcast and then they find out they were joining the naked podcast. Exactly. Right. We are undressed. We're completely naked right. when they join the podcast. It's like, we think we joined the wrong podcast. It's like, this is make it right. No, no, right. Make it right. See, we're so naked. Just make sure you enunciate. It is the make it podcast. Okay. Absolutely. Naked podcast. Okay. Yeah, right. Mama, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can you can find out everything else about us and our company and, and this podcast and how to be part of the community and join us on this journey of independent filmmaking at bonsai.film. So www.bonsai.film. While you're there, go up to the top right, click on newsletter. We have a bi-weekly newsletter. It's incredible. We pull things from the esoteric and all around the world from indie film that are hard to find. We put it all in one spot for you. We always share a cool short film or, or, or commercial or something you should see that some great indie filmmaker made. So do subscribe. It's completely free. And again, that is www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe or you can just go to the website, click newsletter and subscribe from there. And so with that, Nick, can you please leave us with the credo? Man, this is what I do at the end of all these conversations that we have with these wonderful filmmakers. And, you know, I don't want to leave Rostam out. I say filmmakers. He points to Nicholas like he's the filmmaker, bro. You're a filmmaker now. You got to accept it, right? You're part of Bub John. That's part of your legacy. You are a filmmaker yep. too. So for our friends, our fans, our fellow filmmakers out there, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Nicholas, we'll do it again. Rollstone, thank you, brothers. Appreciate you. Talk to you guys soon, all right? Yep. Thank you all so much. Thanks, guys. Peace, everybody. Yeah.